welcome to Sabermetrix, also known as I Got Sucked Off by Historical King Arthur. I'm Sierra. My pronouns are she, her. I'm Iris. My pronouns are also she, her. And welcome to our sincere and critical examination of, uh, instead of Fate Stay Night, uh, Fate Hollow Ataraxia, the sequel to Fate Stay Night. Yep, uh, we are finally here. Um, specifically, this isn't a sequel in the traditional sense. Um, Fate Hollow Ataraxia is what is known in visual novel circles as a fan disc, um, which isn't really a thing in Western games, typically. Um, But fan discs are um, basically additional content released by a company after a successful launch of one of its its titles. Um, And in fact, uh, in in one of the interviews that Nasu gives about uh, Fate Holler Ataraxia, which I will briefly be um, Mm -hmm. referencing uh, for for this initial segment, because I think it's good to give background. Um, They... uh, uh, Nasu said that, uh, quote, Stay Night was received better than I expected, so I thought we could make a story like uh, Kagetsu Toya uh, 1.5, which is uh, was the Tsukihime fan disc. Um, but after completely telling the Stay Night story, I had nothing to do at the time, so I thought out and felt that if we went in this direction, it would be all right. <laughs> Fuck it, man. I was bored and just figured I could do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that mi- I didn't realize it was a fan disc. Uh, that yep. makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. It 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 very much has a more goofy tone about it. Yeah. Um, uh. Well, we'll get. To, mm, actually, I mean, we can just talk about it now. Um. It's its tone is is weird. Um. Yes. It feels like. It feels like it should have like a laugh track that it is then going to subvert 40 hours into the game with something horrifying happening in the laugh track playing over it again. Yeah. Cause it has, it both has like some actual serious fate stay night esque story going on, but then also like for a significant portion of it, sure. Just going around town, talking to people and having, um, and having Caster, who is just straight up a MILF now, hit on him, like Mrs. Robinson style. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> both uh, whack, wax poetic about uh, Kanzaki <laughs> and also argue with Assassin in literal sitcom hijinks. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, like, I, I cannot overstate how much everybody is, like a caricaturized version of themselves. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually one of the things that is kind of frustrating. Um, like seeing Sakura go from a character who had like this incredibly, and it, like the roots are, the root is literally heaven's feel black knight. It is what it says. Uh, and to see Sakura go from the end of her root, like a character who has like this really complicated and deep interiority to, uh, like, a weird almost caricature that she was at the beginning of heaven's feel is like kind of a bummer. Like it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. There is as much as I do like a lot about what I have played so far at fate hollow ataraxia, there is some frustration in regards to, um, considering it 
within the context of how Fate Stay Night ends. Um, how any of the roots end. Yeah. One interesting thing about Hollow Ataraxia, which I also feel I should mention, that is revealed in this interview, um, is that this is the first time that Type Moon has had an entire team of writers instead of just Nasu doing the entire thing himself. That makes complete sense to me. It, it like with the writing, one hundred percent makes sense. Yeah. In fact, um, I'm just gonna read out um, Nasu's answer uh, from one of these interview questions, which is, "What have you learned from using subwriters?" Uh, and Nasu says, "I learned that it is harder to gather all the writers and work on ensuring the quality of the product than just to write the material yourself." There are bound to be differences in points of view, but as the backbone of the project, it is my point of view that everyone will have to conform to. It's just how it has to be. In that case, it would have just been better for me to just write it for myself, but I wanted to bring out the maximum potential of each writer. So it was quite the dilemma. <laughs> I imagine it would be, given what we know about Nasu's perfectionism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, um... Yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, where we can get into the point where I have some, even after playing this first uh, uh, loop, I have some apprehensions about uh, the structure. And, like, that, I think, yeah. style of writing um, plays into that. Uh, so, for anybody who is unaware, uh, Hollow Ataraxia follows a loop structure where you have roughly four days, uh, or at least it seems like you'll have four days, Um and you have a thing you can do in the morning, uh, afternoon, and evening each of those days. And uh, it will trigger, as you do various things, it'll trigger uh, uh, flags. And depending on what flags are triggered, different things will happen on that fourth day. Um, and you don't really have any direction or any like specific things you have to be doing each day outside of triggering these flags. Um, and... So that means you've got this much more uh, uh, open and uh, non-linear structure to the game, which, so the strongest thing about Fate Stay Night was that game and that writing was so tightly controlled. It, it You literally couldn't do roots out of order. Like, everything, yeah. it, it was a book. It was just a book. That's all. It's just yeah, a book. Uh -huh. and it like, was a book where sometimes you would get killed and you'd have to, and, and like Rin would tell you, it looks like you fucked up, buddy. Try again. Go, go back two chapters. Okay. Yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, it, it is a book. And that means that Nasu was able to do really, really tight writing with really specific and clear uh, uh, thematic resonance and resolution to arcs, like down to like themes that were established in the beginning and it, like uh, Shiro as a person who viewed himself as a tool and like the, the ways that information was communicated and how it was communicated and when it was communicated was all really tightly and carefully controlled in a way that I think is one of the story's strongest uh, uh, aspects. Um, and like, that and also like because of that like tight and clear progression characters like do change like pretty markedly throughout individual roots like individual conversations will have changes in each character and there is development and there is change for each of them from moment to moment in a way that was 
kind of surprising and unexpected in a pleasant way. Um, and like the nonlinear structure of this makes me apprehensive because you can't do that. Like fundamentally you cannot do that. The thing I think is like yeah. the strongest fact about fate stay night. You literally cannot do here. And like if working with a whole team of writers who and subwriters arcing under him ends up with characters being reduced to pretty flatly consistent caricatures that has me nervous i guess if that makes sense yeah i i'm also i also wonder if it's just like a product of the nature of what a fan disc is yeah. being at odds with Nasu also just wanting to be on his bullshit and do some more like actual story. Yeah. Um, because like if, if the Bazette content, which, which the is content's great. The Bazette content oh, rules. It's so, good. it's so good. And then you get to these boring ass conversations with Lancer that feel like a waste of fucking time. And it's like, yeah, it's great. I love these Lancer outfits. Lancer is a is a great character to see on scene. But part of the reason Lancer is incredible in Fate Stay Night is he is an actor in this like narrative who is full of motion and drive and action. Like he is always doing something. And so for him to be reduced to a character who is doing nothing is like a bummer. Yeah. Um especially after getting I... all of this huge Bazette content. It rules. Yeah, do we... I, I think at this point, uh, I'd like to start getting into the summary so yes. we can yes. sort of make more pointed commentary as, as we come across things. Uh -huh. um, so, we open on a... a so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know, um, Sierra, be patient with me. Mm -hmm. I realize what, what the opening actually is. Oh, no. But I am asking you to not interrupt me for now. Okay. Uh, we open on an apartment block in the city of Shinto. A narrator talks about an anonymous student who moved here in the beginning of spring when he, when he turned 20. His parents set him up with a four-bedroom apart apartment all to himself. He liked big dwellings and was unconsciously afraid of other people intruding on his space. He particularly, he particularly liked the long hallway between the living room and the door, which took up the ideal amount of space for him. It felt like an ambiguous boundary between the outside and inside. It worried him, though, that his was the only room of its type where no lights were installed in the hallway. In the fall, new tenants, a married couple with a three-year-old daughter, moved in next door. The girl would always ask him to push the button on the elevator for her, because she could not move her arms above her shoulders. This anonymous student was an introvert, and as long as his lifestyle wasn't threatened, though, he didn't care about the outside world. Quote, be it, for example, an argument heard from the other side of the wall, the sound of a little girl crying once every other day, a woman's screams that could only be described as shrieking, the girl not being able to raise her arm above her shoulders due to a neglected bone fracture, or her wearing a red hood to hide the bruises on her face because her father told her to, well, the stuff that only concerns other people, end quote. However, one day, the screaming was much louder than before, and eventually someone banged on his door. He ignored it, though, preferring not to get involved. 
The next day, he learned that the wife had murdered the husband with a knife, then slashed the daughter, and finally had taken her own life. When the student was questioned by the police, he said he, quote, slept like a log and didn't hear anything, end quote. When he asked the police what happened to the daughter, they judged that the wound must have been fatal, but they were unable to find a corpse. Her blood trail stopped at the elevator. Several days passed, and he began to hear a faint banging sound coming from the hallway every night. One night, he went to the door to see what it was, but no one answered the intercom. There was, however, something visible, just under the peephole, just outside his view. Something red, wearing a hood, was just outside his door. He ran back down the long hallway to his bedroom. These visits became routine, but he refused to open the door until one day, after his guilt and paranoia had not away at him, it became unavoidable. He opened the door, and nothing was there. Sighing with relief, he went back inside and closed the door. Down the long, dark hallway, though, something new had appeared. A familiar dead body wearing a red hood. The body spoke. Onichan, the button. We smash cut to a teenage girl throwing punches at the narrator. <laughs> this, I was taking this so seriously in my summary. I mean, so, here's the thing. I think you are. I think it is important to take it seriously. Like I, I do, uh, because what's funny is when I learned that this whole thing was just one of the characters in the Fate Stay Night universe telling a t- telling a ghost story to freak their friends out. I almost just leave that whole summary and just like made it much shorter. But then I was like, wait. This probably matters, and so I kept it like this. There is a specific quote in there, um, which is that it wasn't that Mr. A liked being alone. It was an issue of others being near. And, like, I am, like, 95% sure we're going to get some fucking Evangelion ass, the the hedgehog (laughs) problem ass shit in here. Yeah. Um, So even though... It is absolutely put there to troll me, and I got fucking trolled. And like, not Nasu just fucking kills this story. It's I great. really like this. It's great. Um, he he can spin a good ass ghost story. Yeah. It hey, it turns out not. Uh, uh, one thing also, the translation on this is way less awkward than it was for Fate Say Night. Oh yeah. Like it, it um, is. It is very much far is. far better. And like it, it is not immediately obvious but like the writing style of the translation is much more naturalistic and much less stiff than the fate stay night translation was yeah um which is good because a lot of this game is like humor and Mm -hmm. stuff so like it it better be naturalistic but yeah we find out that it is currently october 11th past midnight Mitsuzuri, uh, who, if you'll recall, um, is Rin's friend, who's also in the archery club, uh, has been telling a scary story to friends inside the Ryudo temple. One of them, Maki Derekaide, uh, the girl who is throwing punches, um, is totally freaked out by it and resorts to criticizing Mitsuzuri uh, to cover up the fact that she did indeed get spooked. Um, I should note that uh, Fate Hollow Ataraxia... Um, like there, are, if you're man, if you happen to remember, like way way back, 
um, in our Fate Stay Night summaries, there were like three female acquaintances of Rin's that like showed up for a scene, mm-hmm. I think in like either the prologue or maybe d- day like day one of the first of the fate route. Um, uh, they just showed up for like a scene. They're going to get a lot more sc- screen time in hollow ataraxia. <laughs> I unironically think uh, that rules. Not sure. Not. Yeah. I think that rules as well. Um, anyway, uh, Issei, our our boy, our king, is also here. It, as Issei a in a fucking sick ass cardigan. My boy, looking so fresh. Mm. Yeah, I God, I love Issei in this game. He's so good. I just um, love Issei. Mi- yeah, Mitsuzuri tells Kaide that if she wanted a realistic story, she shouldn't have asked for a ghost story, and suggests she may want to hear a conspiracy theory from Rin instead. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very funny to me that Rin is knows a bunch of conspiracy theories. Uh, uh, the, um, the funnier thing to me to imagine is it's or that Rin doesn't actually know conspiracy theories. She just knows real conspiracies and just says yeah. those. Uh, uh, Rin, however, says she doesn't know any that would suit Kaede's taste. Uh, Mitsuri then suggests that Sakura go next, as she's apparently very good at telling scary stories. Sakura asks, in an unintentionally menacing tone, who told her that, and a candle immediately goes out. Uh, it's eventually revealed that Mitsuzuri took a real event and dramatized it. There was an actual family suicide in Semina Apartments, and one month later, the young man living next door went missing. One of the girls, Yukika Segusa, starts telling a ghost story, but ends up just describing Rin's house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Segusa tries a, then tries a different story about a string-like thing in the sky, sometimes described as a shadow at, at the top of the center building, and Rin, Rin immediately recognizes that this one is about her, too. <laughs> Uh, Rin is just her town's own cryptid. It kind of rules. It's great. Uh, At some point, Shiro excuses himself for a bit, saying he needs to go to the restroom. He steps outside to collect his thoughts. Suddenly, he notices something in the corner of his vision. a A human figure running towards the back hill. He dismisses it as one of the temple's monks going about their business, then remembers he still needs to go to the bathroom and jogs down the hallway. He bumps into someone, and we see Castor, Medea, without her cloak. She advises him to be careful, as running in the hall is bad manners. Shiro's mind freezes for a moment, but after Castor walks past, he forgets why he was surprised, and acts like it's totally natural to see Castor roaming about, though rare for her to be unhooded. Um, which uh, brings up our first hint of what Hollow Ataraxia is going to be about um, in terms of like overarching plot and that like this reality that we are seeing should not exist. Yes. It, it, it um, is pretty explicit about that. Yeah. Uh, and something is going on where like Shiro in his core somewhere in there knows that this is not right. What? Shiro? The the protagonist of Fate Stay Night recognizes something is wrong, but actively chooses to ignore it because it's inconvenient for him? Say it ain't well, so. T- well, to be fair, it's not because he's intentionally ignoring uh, things. Like, mm-hmm. there's some magic fuckery going on. Uh, uh, there is a, a quote where he is looking up at the moon and explicitly goes, uh, uh, what is the quote? Um, 
Uh, okay, oh, maybe yeah, he's intentionally ignoring it a little story, bit. Looking up at the quote deformed moon. Okay, well maybe a little bit, but also uh-huh. there's straight up magic fuckery. Going there there on. is magic fuckery, but like it, there is as much magic fuckery as there which may be Rin's, which is likely Rin's fault at least, at least partially. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, but that that we'll get to that later. Um, Shiro comes back to find everyone enraptured by Issei's ghost story. Taiga has already fallen asleep, so Kuzuki has taken her place as supervisor. Honestly, probably the better supervisor anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, He soon finishes his tale, and now it's Shiro's turn. We cut to a different scene of an unknown person relating their own torture. Their throat has been pierced, their tongue removed, their vocal organs destroyed, and their limbs severed. Their bodies stopped working long ago, but they retain consciousness. It's not painful for them to lose themselves bit by bit, but they are scared of becoming nothing. They don't want to die. We change perspectives to a new new narrator who has just woken up from a sleep so deep they can't recall how long it's been, or why they are currently on a couch inside a mansion. Um, she- one thing that I do think is important to acknowledge is like, it is not clear who it was in that scene. It is very feasible that it is Bazette in some way, because we know Bazette's supposed to be dead. Yeah. Bazette is supposed to be dead before fate starts. You know who I think it is? I think it's Bazette. Well, it's either Bazette or a, a, a fucking. I think Avenger. it's Anger Mind You. Anger Mind You, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, yeah, but yeah, it could be either, but I, I'm guessing it's Anger Mind You. Um, anyway, uh, so she notices a man sitting nearby, looking downward, playing with a sliding tile picture puzzle. As she rises to a sitting position, he asks, Yo, finally awake, master? Trying to jog her lost memory even a little, she stands up and looks at herself in a nearby mirror. She's wearing a suit and tie and has medium-length dark red hair. uh, Almost purple. Uh, She describes herself as having, quote, an unlikable figure, useful only for intimidating others, an armor of male attire that denies any femininity. This is me, the same old me, the same plain old Bazette Fraga McRemitz, end quote. Honestly, oh. she's being way too harsh on herself. I uh, know. <laughs> I love, I'm immediately like, oh, Bazette, honey. Oh, honey. You're, you're, <laughs> like, like, all of this stuff is like, damn, damn, Nasu, you still got it. You still got the chops to, like, between this and the uh, uh, initial horror story. Like, you still got the chops of writing stuff that's, like, deeply specifically upsetting in very specific ways. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry Bizet. there are so many people who love butches <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true some of them might be on this podcast uh, <laughs> yeah it's me hi what yeah no it's me hello hi uh, however she feels like there is something that ought to be there that is missing her servant notices that she's getting back to normal and asks if it's quote time to go a killin end uh- quote um, uh, one thing to say too here is, uh, we're see- the CG is her like in the mirror here, uh, and across the mirror there is a crack, a single crack, uh, that decapitates her. Oh, I didn't notice the placement of it. Yes, and, and like it is one of those things where it's like it would have been easier to just not inc- like it is very clearly a intent like an intentional thing, and I don't know if it is supposed to be just symbolic of Bazette already supposing to is supposed to be dead or what. But, like, yeah, yeah it, it is, like, straight through her neck. <laughs> I did not notice that. That's a good catch. Um, 
Uh, she recalls she was sent by the Magic Association to win the Grail War in Fuyuki. She feels, though, that she had her own motives, too, that superseded her desire for the Grail. The last thing she remembers, though, is patrolling the city with her servant. While keeping the exact nature of her memory problems a secret, Bazette tries to probe her servant for information about what happened recently. Um, unlike, uh, unlike Shiro, Bazette has an initially, not necessarily directly hostile... Contentious. Um, yeah, very contentious and incredibly wary um, relationship with her servant, because she is fully aware that... Uh, like that servants have their own motives and depending on which one you get, they may not be nearly as cooperative if they feel that you are not a, a worthy master. What's extra weird too is Bazette's servant is supposed to be Lancer. Bazette's yeah, servant is, is definitely not Lancer. Yeah, this is clearly not Kukulin. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, uh, her servant uh, tells her that she chose this Manson as a safe house to rest in, as she was feeling weary immediately after summoning him. Her servant is desperate for a fight, but Bazette tells him she prefers to be more careful. She wants to gather information on the other masters first before making plans to eliminate them. Plus, both the Magic Association and the Holy Church would be displeased by collateral damage. Her servant orders her to use a command spell, otherwise he might decide to just kill her. She refuses, telling him, quote, anyone who gets killed by their own dog does not deserve to be called its master, end quote. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Very appropriate that uh-huh. Cullen's former master uses dog metaphors. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. You know, it, it, it may have been appropriate for her, especially considering her sword. Like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, he gives in immediately. He warns her, though, that keeping casualties to a minimum is pointless, since the city has four days remaining before it's wiped out by, quote, mysterious things pouring out daily, end quote. It's 2 a.m. when they leave the mansion, and Bazette can instantly sense that the city is unnervingly quiet. They walk for a couple hours, and her servant notices a house with the lights still on. Curious, he goes to check on the house, instructing Bazette to stay back. The narration shifts to the shifts to the servant's perspective. He mentions he's personally satisfied with her, but he's still going to do some disobeying since he has, quote, a hell of a lot to say about society, end quote. Mm-hmm. I love this guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's got he's such just, a great voice. He's just such a shithead in such a fun way. Like, yeah, th- this is the comedy. St- uh, the stuff with him actually or the comedy stuff with him actually worked for me. Uh, in part because it felt like plot was actually happening, and also because, like, he sells it in a way that, like, the Lancer scene doesn't necessarily for me. Yeah. Um, also, I just like how much he's a shithead in a very specific way that's yeah. completely different from all the uh-huh. other shitheads in Fate. Where he's, yes. he's, like, he's an edgelord teenager, basically. Yes! He writes a fucking receipt! God, I can't wait. Yeah, he's angry about what human society has developed into and believes that his, it has already become old old, and dying even faster than he had expected. 
They'll only have a future if they can find a new cycle to adopt instead of amplifying the existing one. That said, a sane heroic spirit would just choose to observe. Only a truly insane heroic spirit would get excited about trying to make the world a better place. <laughs> Somewhere Shiro is sneezing. Um, it, uh, the other important part here, too, is he implies that he saw the world uh, a long, long time ago when it was in it. Like, the implication I got from what he says is basically uh, older than even like most heroic spirits. Like, yeah, he, he saw the world back like when shit was actually good before humans had done much of anything. Yeah, pos- yeah, pos- like even older than Gilgamesh. <laughs> it is like the implication here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he'd never want to meet that kind of guy, let alone fight him. <laughs> uh, so- since he's since he's the weakest servant, a bloodless victory will be difficult for him. The only thing he's good at is killing humans. Hey, we know who the weakest servant was. That's the information yeah. we already have. Yeah, the weakest servant who then became something that was specialized in destroying all of humanity. Uh-huh. Uh, that, uh, I mean, like, it, it is, uh, this is anger mining. Like, th- this is obviously yes, anger Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh, 100%. Uh, it's not subtle. Um, D- down to the dream the- Bazette was having being a dream from Angamainu. Yeah. He enters the house to find a creature has already killed all but one of the inhabitants. He quickly kills the creature and finishes off the remaining person. Before Bazette walks in, though, he arranges the scene with his strange dagger that looks like a mix of fangs and claws of a beast to make it look like he was responsible for all the murders. Bazette is disgusted by the sight, but her servant doesn't seem to care. She asks why someone with such bloodlust didn't kill her outright. He explains that since, since she's a master, he does not consider her to be a human. Despite her hatred of him, though, she can sense through her link with them that there is a feeling of homesickness rubbing against the heart. A hollow void that tells her that he will never betray her. They finish their patrol, not able to find any magic. You missed the best part of this, which is... Oh, sorry. Go that, ahead. Uh, uh, she doesn't believe him when he says, uh, uh, oh, I would. Ne- I just decided I would never kill you. And she was like, well, why would you never kill me? I'm human as well. And he said, well, I just decided you're not human. It's fine. You, you, an exception was made for you. You're the only living thing I don't want to kill. Uh, and Bazette has more gender feelings about, well, how, wow, usually people just decide I'm not a woman, but... It, it, this is the first time someone's decided I'm not a human. Um, and to prove it, uh, Bazette's servant writes her a fucking note that says, uh, you, are, oh, I, I, yeah. you are not human and I exempt you from being murdered. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that part. Uh, it, honestly, it made me laugh almost as hard as the curry scene. <laughs> it's, yeah, he, he just get, it's he, like he, he given... writes her a note excusing yeah. her from being murdered. Oh, it's great. It's Um, so good. (laughs) Uh, God, where, where the fuck was I? Um, oh, here we go. Uh, they finished their patrol, not able to find any magic, but she did confirm that something is causing Fuyuki to come apart at the seams. There are also many traces of magical energy, but no sign of magic being performed. She speculates that there is an eighth Magus that is trying to interfere with the Grail War. Regardless of it's beset. <laughs> Regardless of who it is, the mage she's most worried about is the Einsburns master, who is said to be especially powerful. 
I mean, yeah, it's true. Not wrong, but also not the person to worry about. Shira's got that covered. Um, as they approach the foreigner cemetery, they encounter what they believe is a master and her servant. Bazette doesn't recognize them, but to us, the audience, they look weirdly identical to Rin and Sakura. Um, they are wearing fancy, vaguely Victorian-era dresses, and they refer to themselves as the Edelfelt sisters. Uh, Bazette prepares for battle by putting on her gloves that are protected by defensive runes. As she takes them out, she notices an earring in her pocket that she doesn't recognize. The Rin lookalike fires a scattering of gander shots. Bazette recognizes the name, a noble family of Finland, which produces many masters of the gander spell. Bazette uses her gloved hands to deflect the shots that would hit her upper body. As she moves in to strike one of the sisters, she's blocked by she's blown back by a servant rushing in, Saber, aka Artoria. The other sister also calls in a saber for protection, Artoria Alter, who kills Bazette's servant immediately. The normal Artoria. Alter, that's what it is. I couldn't remember what the uh, term for the alternate versions of it, so I literally yeah, just wrote just Jokerfied Saber in my notes. I mean, not wrong. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's Alter. Yeah. Um, the, the normal Artoria quickly defeats Bazette, and the Rin sister scolds her. Quote, It seems your investigation was inadequate. Have you never heard that the heads of the Edelfelt family are always sisters? Bazette recalls that the Edelfelts are famous for practicing the typically abhor- abhorrent notion of having two successors. Hmm, perish the thought. Uh, the sisters are chosen as one master who summon two sides of the same servant. Saber then thrusts her sword into, Bazette, into Bazette's chest, and she dies. Doesn't she die with like the implication that this time, or she failed again this time, or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like the implication here being, oh, Bazette is also in a loop. Yep. Uh, Shira wakes up from his dream, finding himself in his shed as usual. He heads to the kitchen where Sakura is already making breakfast. Saber greets him, asking if he woke up late. She scolds him for falling asleep in the shed again, reminding him that it's not good for his health. With Rin gone, Saber has taken up the duties of supervising him and maintaining order in the Emiya household. He apologizes and agrees to sleep in his room starting tomorrow. Before they end their conversation, he says, Good morning, and thanks in advance. She replies, You are welcome. Take care, Shiro. As they head to the living room together, Shiro's vision goes blurry and he rubs his eyes. They were a little watery, for reasons he cannot pin down. A lot of people are here at the breakfast table. Saber, Ryder, Ilya, Taiga, and Sakura. Saber is going in on as much food as she can, while Ryder is simply drinking some tea while lightly jabbing her by insinuating her energy consumption is inefficient. After Ilya asks why the miso soup tastes different, we learn that Ryder was in the kitchen with Sakura, toiling away at making miso soup for the first time. Uh, We also discover that Rin is away due to the consequences of botching up an imitation of the gem gem sword she had tried to prepare in Ilya's castle, causing a a second sorcery explosion. Ilya is quite cross with her about it. Uh, All the data and materials she collected, as well as the money she had borrowed from Sakura, disappeared. It was a miracle Rin even survived. To avoid being sealed by the Magic Association, she went on a journey to the Clock Tower. 
Ilya explains that Rin nearly created a world where all the possible outcomes of the town were drawn in. Uh, in addition, Ryder and Saber have noticed that over the last few days, they both had light feelings of hostility towards each other, despite the Grail War being over half a year ago. Their instincts are responding as if there is a Grail War happening. Shiro speculates that it's possible that the Fifth War is restarting, since most of the Masters are alive, their servants are still hanging around, and their command spells are still in good shape. Even Shiro still has one left. Shiro won the war, but he never used the Grail. Ryder is concerned that Sakura may be hurt if the war starts again, but Ilya says there is no reason to worry, since there is no Grail to fight over in the first place. It's, mostly, it's most likely just side effects of servants sticking around, which is highly unusual. Sakura suggests checking in with the other servants, like Lancer, to get their opinion on the situation. With that, Sakura heads to school. Shiro doesn't have to leave quite so early, so he has a chat with Saber before leaving himself. Saber requests that he take her along if he tends to go on patrol in the evenings, which he readily agrees to. Um... We'll now go ahead and talk about this part because after it, we're going to be getting into the freeform section. Yeah, so I, I do think the implication that, um, like, it, what we're left with here is a world without resolution. Like, it, yeah. P- part of like the thing with Heaven's Feel especially was, um, a realization that e- there will be loss and people will be lost, and you have to learn how to cope with that and deal with that and move forward. And, like, this is a world in which someone clearly is unwilling to accept uh, those losses. And so instead, everybody's just alive. And we're just, we're not going to deal with the bad things. And it's fine. Um, And so, like, the implication that, like, yeah, if you're just unable to deal with the bad thing, it's actually still just going to be there lurking in the back. Like, you don't don't get the resolution without actually resolving things, um, I, I think is interesting. Yeah, um, it, it's 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 very clearly indicated. Like there are there are obviously some secrets that will get revealed here, but like it's very obvious from the get go that like oh Rin did actually accidentally create a world where all possible outcomes were drawn in, and for whatever reason, possibly due to Shiro's own own subconscious, um, you know these the possibilities that were drawn in were the ones where like people just get to live and hang out because Shiro has an endless ab- abundance of empathy for both like the pe- for both the people he was technically enemies with as well as the servants so for him an ideal world would be everyone lives well, and I- everything is just peaceful <laughs> More than that, um, there is an implication that it is an overlapping of roots, um, because yeah. when he talks to Saber, which we'll get into, um, it is clear that Saber at least remembers the fate root. Yeah, specifically and in fact, fate. Yeah, what's interesting is that she remembers when she like says what she recalls. It is a combination of both the end of the fate route end of the uh, end, the end of the unlimited blade works route. Yes. So she, she remembers a combination of the two, which uh-huh. could not possibly exist. Yes. But then he has a conversation with soccer later and like, there is both an intimacy and like an expectation of physical intimacy between the two of them that like very clearly implies that their relationship is in a similar place to where it was in heaven's feel. Yeah. 
Like, they're literally staring at the bed at one point. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, like it, it, it is not subtle for either of them, and both of them are freaking out about it. But, like, it, it is clear that there is an overlapping of the roots here in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, I, I really like this setup. Uh... I'm curious about the setup. I, I don't know if I like it yet, but I'm curious about it at least. Um, I, I will need a couple of loops to see what it does. It, I need Shiro's character to be persistent and like pretty quickly realize what is going on or like engaging. Like if it is just Shiro resetting every single day, I'm gonna have a nightmare of an experience. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be so frustrated. <laughs> um. Speaking of which, uh, we now transition to, like, the game proper. Um, just to give the listeners a basic idea of what's going on here. Um, you loop through four days, um, October 8th through October 11th. Um, so we are starting on October 8th because we just had th- that previous narration ended on well, for Bazette anyway, ended on October 11th, where everyone died, <laughs> presumably. What is the date of the, um, uh, of this first day? I, I didn't catch it, actually. October, October 8th. 8th. Okay. Yes. Okay, um, so that and, fourth day, yeah. And each day, uh, there are three parts. Um, there is a morning section, an afternoon section, and a night section. Mm-hmm. And for each section, uh, you are given a map of Fuyuki um, and of the Emiya residence and the temple uh, where you have a variety of different scenes to choose from. And viewing a scene will automatically move you to the next part of the day. Um, And finishing up at night will move you to the next day. And that's basically the structure of it. It's pretty simple, um, but I figure it was worth mentioning here. So... What I did, just to make sure that Sierra and I would be covering the same topics, uh, is I played the loop ahead of time so I could tell Sierra exactly what choices to pick. Um, So for October 8th, uh, uh, each each day has a uh, fancy title to it. Uh, October 8th is Resumption of Mimicry. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And for the first te- and for the first scene, uh, we go to Shiro's room, uh, where we have a scene of ta- we, we have a scene with Taiga. Uh, the scene is called Fujine's Persimmon Feast. Uh, Shiro decides to spend some time cleaning his room since it's getting rather messy. As he vacuums, he catches Taiga dropping even more boxes of junk off in his room. It's full of persimmons. Uh, Taiga explains that there's no room in the kitchen, but she didn't want to leave them where they won't get noticed and spoil and that's pretty much the scene <laughs> some of these are going to be less interesting than others <laughs> yeah like this first one uh-huh uh and since i'm just since i again don't know anything about holler ataraxia i'm just picking these things largely at random oh so, for sure yeah sometimes i get a dud uh <laughs> We next move on in the afternoon to a scene at the harbor with Lancer. Uh, this scene is called Warrior's Knowledge. Um, Sierra, would you like to describe what 
Lancer is wearing here? Lancer is wearing the tightest leather jeans that a human being could possibly wear (laughs) that were then tightened even further. And the only reason his dick is not showing through them is because the artist was a coward. Every other part is irrelevant. I think he's wearing like a white t-shirt or something. But the oh, leather, so the you're leather. thinking about you're thinking about a later scene with Lance. Am I? This what is he wearing is, here? This scene is the oh, one where he's wearing the Jimmy shirt. Buffett Hawaiian shirt. Yes, and the fucking ha- oh he's on God. island time. He is on island time. My man went. What's the worst outfit I could wear? And then what's the best outfit I could wear? Let's wear them both back to back. Yes, uh, in so, this one he is on island time, correct? Yeah, I love this outfit. Uh, Shiro heads to our harbor to ask Lancer about the possible resumption of the Grail War. We find Lancer sitting on a pier, holding a fishing rod, and wearing one of the most garish Hawaiian sur- shirts I've seen in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> a- apparently, Taiga has been visiting him frequently, asking for fish and delivering a bucket full to Shiro. Uh, I like the idea of Lancer and Taiga frequently interacting. Um because man that that is a scene um today however lancer has caught nothing shiro asks him what he what uh he makes of the current situation with servants sticking around lancer admit it admits it's strange that his contract remains in effect despite kyrie being dead however he's just happy to be alive so he's enjoying life without worrying about it too much he, too, has felt the urge to defeat other servants coming back, but he has no intention of participating unless someone challenges him directly. So that's yeah. an interesting little detail, is that Kyrie is one of the only casualties that sticks around. Yep. Well, and it also barely refers to him as dead. It just refers to him as not being around, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, then, during the night, uh, Shiro goes out on patrol, but decides to leave saber out of it um he's hoping that to use himself as bait to bring out anything that might be unusual um we go to the temple um in a scene called kagetsu toya uh shiro decides to visit the Ryudo temple assassin is still here guarding the temple at night since caster's command spell is still in effect he's on friendly terms with shiro but will not allow him to pass at this hour Shiro apologizes for bothering him and says he'll try to remember to bring a present next time. Assassin requests that he brings two beautiful, two beautiful flowers, Saber and Ryder, when he next comes by. Uh, moving on to October 9th, program mm-hmm. plagiarism. Uh, we have another harbor scene um, in the morning with Saber uh, called This Is Not Heaven. Uh, this is one of the... Um, this is one of the only other substantive scenes that I actually quite liked. Uh, Saber is at the harbor, gazing upon the ocean. She remarks that it's calmer here than in her hometown. Quote, When the wind raged, the sea bristled like the manes of a thousand galloping white horses, she says. Had peace come to Britain, she would have liked to travel by ship to foreign countries. Quote, Those are the things that came to mind, she continues. I have been blessed. Having the chance to gaze into the distance like this with fond memories, not regrets. A miracle must be at work, end quote. She hopes to one day show Shiro her home, even though centuries have passed and she may no longer recognize it. They chat with each other about what having a hometown means and how it will always hold a place in their hearts, no matter how far away they are. 
Suddenly, Shiro is hit by an intrusive thought that there are some rare souls that cannot exist without hating their home. The thought quickly passes, and Shiro chalks it up to dizziness. He asks, <laughs> yeah, dizziness! Uh-huh. He asks Saber if she likes fish. She says that, with a few exceptions, she does, meaning their menu for dinner is decided. They both leave the harbor. Um, yeah, I, I like this scene a lot, specifically, because Shiro is like... This is, again, one of those instances we see of... Like, Shiro gets, like, unreasonably sad at one point during this. Um, And, like, it is another one of those moments of Shiro clearly realizing... At least a part of him realizing this isn't real. Or, like, not real in the way he wants it to be. Yeah. um, Um, I, I also just like this scene with Saber because in Fate's Day Night, like, Saber's primary goal was reversing her choice back then because she believed that she was unfit to be the king of Britain and that if someone else had just taken her place, that would have solved all the problems and and Britain would not have gone, and like events would not have gone the way it did for her country. But like, we never really got a sense we never really understood why Saber loved Britain so much other than the fact that, well, she's King Arthur. Of course she loves Britain. That's what King Arthur is. Mm-hmm. Um, we like Nasu just relied on the archetype of King Arthur to convey that convey why she cared. But here, like we get a sense of what Britain meant to her and the things she actually loved about it. She loved staring at the sea and and watching the waves crash uh, crash on the rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, she loved the wind, uh, and it, it, it's nice to see Saber given the sort of thing I would have loved to actually see in the Fate Route. Yeah, it would have been great if any of this was in the actual first game. Uh huh. Um, but fuck you. Alternatively, have you considered? Because <laughs> the game sure has. The game has said, fuck you, Iris. Yeah, uh-huh. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, like, I, I like this implication, here, or this, uh, um, the other part of this recognition, too, is, like, this is one of the first instances we see of a character having progressed in some way, like, she is sure that uh, England as it stands now is, like, there are parts of it that are still the same. There are still parts of it that are worth loving. And like, that is a much different position than she used to be at. Yeah. Yeah. Like she, she is willing to accept the fact that, that Britain is no longer, you know, what she knew. It it is no Um, longer Camelot. Yeah. But, but she still feels fondness for it. And she also feels like a fondness for, Fuyuki now like Fuyuki is her home now as well yes Um, yeah Uh, then on the other on the opposite end of the scale we have the next scene I chose um, in the afternoon which is called potato sorrow it (laughs) takes place in the courtyard of the Emiya residence Uh, Shiro decides to sweep the fallen leaves that have accumulated in the courtyard of his house after gathering them up, he makes a bonfire and bakes some sweet potatoes on it. He starts eating them alone and laments that there's no one around right now to share them with. 
thus potato sorrow. Yeah, that's it. That's all there is. That's all yep. that happens here. Shiro is sad that he doesn't have anyone to eat potatoes with. Uh, anyway, uh, at night we get another uh, saber scene uh, in her room. Uh, this scene is titled The Future is Now. Shiro asks Saber what her general thoughts are on the Grail War starting again. She says she doesn't understand why it's been restarted, but she will not allow her master to be defeated. She won't start any fights, but she will strike down anyone who threatens them. She's also certain that the Grail is destroyed. She remembers fighting against Gilgamesh while Shiro battled with Kyrie. Then she destroyed the Grail with Rin's command spell. Um, which again is combining two roots together because mm-hmm. Rin was commanding Saber uh, in Unlimited Blade Works, whereas she was fighting Gilgamesh and Shiro was fighting Kyrie in the Fate route. Um, and that's pretty much all that that interaction is. Yeah. Uh, October uh, oh, 10th. Um, this oh, sorry, is also ahead. the moment where uh, Shiro, after uh, the conversation looks up and specifically recognize uh, because the moon is like all black right now. Um, and this is the moment where Shiro mentioned uh, after hearing that, like there is a clear sense of him not quite really believing it or like having that same uh, um, disbelief Bazette had uh, where he's like, yeah, okay, I guess that's what happened. Um, and goes out and looks up at what is literally called the deformed moon and says, yeah, thanks for that convenient story. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, man, Shiro knows something's up. Shiro knows that that's not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gonna beat this boy's ass. <laughs> He's learned nothing. Nothing. Uh, October 10th is called Roulette Rotation. Uh, our first scene takes place in Sakura's room, and the scene is called Sakura's Memory. Uh, Shiro goes to chat with Sakura about what to make for lunch. He mentions that while she normally lives at the Mato household, she stays at his place on weekends and holidays. Sakura asks him to wait a moment, and he can hear the sounds of her moving stuff around her room. She soon invites him to into her room, and he notices the smell of perfume. He says it suits her. Sakura mentions she's been learning by watching Rin. She also remarks that she thinks it'd suit, sh- suit Shiro if he started using cologne. She tried to give Ryder a center of her ho- a center of her own, but she didn't care for it. <laughs> Love the idea of Sakura trying to get Ryder to put on perfume. Uh huh. It's very funny. Uh, they both talk about how many new people have taken up residence in his household, and it's gotten much livelier as a result. It also makes cleaning easier because uh, there's a lot more people to help. Ryder especially likes to keep things neat and tidy because she she Ryder's is fully transitioned into being MILF. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true. <laughs> Complete with like mom jeans. <laughs> Have you noticed no one's mentioned Shinji once? No, but I I have bad news for you about the loop two don't, stuff I've already Don't gotten. say let me pretend. Let me pretend God I'm sorry. <laughs> I was, I was still also dead? Iris. Iris, lie to me, please. Yeah. Fuck me. Definitely Jeez. dead. I'm I'm actively, like, actually really upset about that. Yeah, no, I was too. 
<laughs> you can't do what you did at the end of Heavensfield and then bring him back and have it be like, it's fine. Like, uh, yeah, I, I didn't have any actual scenes with him present in loop two, but there is a scene with Sakura that I, I did in loop two where she talks about both Shinji and Zoken being around. I need them both to die. I yeah. need them. Okay, so I just I just looked up because uh, I have a guide uh, saved because uh, I was curious, and I looked up to uh, see if there are any scenes where like Shinji is a selectable character. Hey, guess what? I'm guessing there are. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm gonna get fucking homicidal. <laughs> you can't do this to me. Yeah, it's upsetting. <laughs> um. Anyway, so so sorry about future content. I guess uh, <laughs> I'm apologizing to future me right now. I'm yeah. sorry that I've done this to you. Um. But anyway, yeah. The, the scene with Sakura here. Um. It, it it is like it is nice to see them have some degree of intimacy, but like the regression from the relationship in Heaven's Feel is like such a bummer yeah yeah they're they're less they're less intimate in this one um it is nice at the end of this scene that sakura admits that she misses being able to be alone with him because there's so many people here now uh but that's like about as good as we get um and again this is we haven't gotten to these particular scenes yet but again this is a fan disc um so it is like the story elements in this are at odds with the fact that this is also meant to be fan service for people who liked fate stay night and just want to get more of the characters they liked um because there are sex scenes with several different women in this fan disc there are why i I mean i know why i'm just like why i thought we were free no (laughs) no we are not me uh god damn it oh okay yeah i I just like and that's and 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 I speculate that that is why his relationship with Sakura is not as as close cool. because you you have to have the justification of like why he's not just committed to her with yeah with, I, I without mean, like, without explicitly doing a, a polyamorous relationship with Rin. I mean, I mean, like this is going to be the thing we're going to encounter. I I have a feeling throughout the rest of our experience with Fate, it, it is going to be this clashing of. The desire to feed towards fan desires and the desire to produce something that is interesting and like. Uh, I will say, I will say that's less true of Fate Extra. Um, Yeah. But for other stuff, especially Fate Grand Order, like that, that is just Fate Grand Order writ large. 
anything of... that is like connected even tangentially to uh the fifth grail war is gonna be like that i have a feeling um yeah but like fake grand order specifically i mean because, yes it, because it is a, gotcha it is a game. It it's a gotcha game it. yeah like it is uh that is very much gonna be the be very much like the contradiction of um like want wanting to have like an actual story um but also you gotta have like the fun scenes where the servants hang out with each other um because you gotta pe- get people to like the characters so they'll spend a thousand dollars pulling on the one they want yeah um which is just one of the many reasons why fate grand order is just so frustrating to me yes uh-huh but that is that is something we won't have to worry about for quite a while thank, thank god. god uh i am not looking forward to having to tackle fake grand order i can tell you that much <laughs> it's gonna be a nightmare oh, i like god. the fact that both of us are like man it's gonna suck ass and neither of us are like <laughs> it even considering suck. not doing it um anyway uh, so moving on from from this scene, uh, we have our uh, afternoon scene at the church. This one is called Successor. Uh, this is the Lancer outfit you're thinking of. Yes, you uh-huh. thinking of, where he just where, has the incredibly where, tight pants. My man Lancer is like, I need to look like as much a thought as possible, and I respect him for it. He's looking like a cast member in Magic Mike. <laughs> My man looks like he should be on a the image on a Wikipedia article for how to flag being gay. <laughs> uh, she, he was a backup dancer for Queen. He, he was uh, a backup dancer for Queen. Also, he fucked Freddie Mercury backstage. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Uh-huh. I I can see Lan- I can see Lancer wearing a mess shirt. Honestly, the fact that he's not wearing a mesh shirt here is disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of shocking. Um, Shiro finds Lancer in front of the church. Uh, someone arrived from the Holy Church and kicked him out, so he he decided to just start watering the watering the flowers. Uh, I mean, it, it's Bazette, right? It's obviously Bazette. <laughs> it's not. It's not Bazette. No, I've again i've I've played a little more, so I know right. who it actually is, but no, it is not Bazette because Bazette's not a member of the church. she's a yeah, member, of, a the member magic of the associate oh. no she's a member of the magic association. Oh, that's right. Wait, but I thought Kyrie had said no, you're right. I had it backwards. Never mind. yeah, she is a member of the magic association. I was thinking she was yeah. a member of the church. yeah, she's a member of the magic association. so th- this is a member of the Holy Church who we do not know who it is yet, but we will eventually find out um. But anyway, uh, he's watering the flowers because he, uh, in his own words, has got nothing better to do but to sit and stare into space. <laughs> Big mood. Yeah. Uh huh. Shiro's surprised to hear that there's someone even Lancer can't handle. Uh, he uh, Shiro enters the church to try and see who the new person is, but there's no one there. Weirdly, uh, he goes back outside to let Lancer know, but now Lancer is gone too. Only his watering can remains in the plaza. Uh, hmm. Anyway, uh, at night, um, uh, we just go to the storage room 
Um, the title of this one is Awakening, Not Yet. Shiro enters the shed for a bit in the evening, even though he has no reason to go in there. After sitting down for a little while, he leaves, not understanding why he's been going in there regularly to begin with. Yep. Uh, also known as Nothing Happens. Yep, Nothing Happens. Um, October 11th is called Endless Crosses Turnless. Uh, the morning In the morning, uh, we go to the temple gates and we uh, talk with Castor. This scene is called Are You Here to Pray? Shiro heads to the temple and is surprised to see Castor sweeping the steps just below the gate. She figured she'd tidy things up a little, but he wonders if it's okay to do so while wearing her robes. Castor doesn't understand his point, so moves on to asking why she doesn't get Assassin to do it. Um, she's tried, but he always dodges the task by claiming that adopting a physical form to clean the steps would waste magical energy. While staring at Shiro, she laments not having a young, a young guy who can cook, clean, and do laundry as a familiar. Such sure. a little bitch. <laughs> she, she just stares at Shiro and is like, oh, if only I had a fuckboy of my own that I can just command at will. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Fucking sure. at, at one point, uh, uh, she's shit talking. It, it transitions to her shit talking assassin instead, uh, and it's very she, funny. She she like straight up says, uh, uh, "Like see, assassin, he's at least useful." And uh, uh, assassin goes, uh, "Indeed, the swordsman's skills should not be needed. The true samurai <laughs> should work the field harvesting wheat. There is no arguing the fact that this boy is more useful than me." And just like. <laughs> Being a smug little shit, like the way he gets out of uh, uh, having to sweep is by saying, well, obviously it takes more magical energy for you to manifest me and have me sweep than it would take for you to just use magic to sweep yourself. So obviously you should just do it. And she's like pissed as fuck because he's technically right. Yeah, uh (laughs) it's very funny. Uh Cheryl does offer to help cast her out, but she declines. Uh, She says she's worried it would cause strife with Issei. If if Kuzuki were around, though, it would be a different story. Um, Assassin teases her for being so enamored with Kuzuki. Caster responds by ordering him to come down and help, and Shiro decides to excuse himself. Yeah, that's fair. I, too, would be like, I'm out. Yeah, it's like, I'm just gonna leave these two alone. (laughs) Um... Anyway, uh, in the afternoon, uh, we head to the student council room in the school uh, to hang out with Issei for a bit. Uh, this scene is called Crossro- Co- sorry, Crosswords and Shogi Problems. Shiro spends some time in the student council room. Issei is here to solving shogi puzzles in old magazines because that's just the that's the kind of, t- the type of person is. he is. He's already yep. a grandpa. Uh, <laughs> I know it's great and I love him. Uh, he's he if he were living in america he'd be doing those bridge puzzles that you see oh in, yeah uh, oh yeah <laughs> uh Issei's own policy against items used for amusement prevents them from having actual board games in the room <laughs> uh, at the chime of the four o'clock bell Issei gets up and locks a safe in the room He explains that inside the safe is a report stating what clubs will be presenting what at the cultural festival. The deadline for reports was at four today, so so no matter what the excuse is, the council will no longer accept them. 
Any class or club without a presentation will not be allowed to participate. With his job over for the day, he invites Shiro to go eat something at the cafe in Shinto Park. I must stress that Issei does not have anything else that he was supposed to do at school. He came to school on a day off to wait until 4 o'clock just so he could shut the lock at exactly the precise moment to deny people from turning in their form slightly late. Issei fucking sucks, man. I love Issei. He's such a little <laughs> shithead. He is. I love he, this dumb jackass. He is the type of person that would be insufferable. <laughs> oh, just <laughs> nightmare man. Nightmare boy. I love uh, him. But in the context of, the, of this fictional story, he's fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, also, it completely makes sense why Shiro is friends with him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also true. I'm pretty sure Shiro is maybe his only friend. I mean, you know, we we don't know that. We've never um, seen it's him interact true, with, though. Yeah, we've never seen him interact with anyone other than Rin, and his relationship with Rin is just like he is. Uh, he if he Rin believes. Were not obviously, in love with Sh- Shiro, I would be like, well, obviously, Rin and Issei need to hook up because they hate each other. Yeah. The most obvious hate fuck in the galaxy. Yes, uh huh, and it would be perfect. <laughs> to be fair, Issei would probably be at least better at it than Shiro is. It would hard to be. It would be hard to be worse. Yeah, he would at least read a book, figure out what he's supposed <laughs> to do. Fuck! Oh my god! You know I'm right. I, oh, you are 100% right. Oh, it's incredible <laughs> thinking about just Jesus Christ. All right. Anyway, let's finish up this loop. Um, so at night, Shiro goes out for a walk alone. This is the one time you do not have a choice. You have to do this specific thing. Um, this scene is called End of the Four Nights. Um, the moment Shiro decides to go outside, he begins to feel sick. As he heads into town, he can't sense a single human presence and hears the panting of wild beasts in the midst. In the mist, um, we sh- he, I should note that he also begins to feel like the entire town is unreal except for his home. Yeah. Also, it should be noted that um, much like how in Fate Stay Night, the presence of Angra Mainyu or or the dark mud um, was presaged by. Um, like red text auto-scrolling across the screen. Um, mm-hmm. this, a similar thing is happening here with with red text. Um, whoever is behind the strange events is making its move. He can't find a single piece of human flesh, but clearly sees evidence of slaughter. He runs toward the sound of howling as best he can and finds a beast made of shadow. He knows he's seen it before, but the memory won't come to him. Suddenly, the beast attacks him, but he's able to dodge it easily. He counterattacks with a kick, and it goes down instantly. He tries to ask it what it is, then realizes he's surrounded by many, many more. It reminds him of ants swarming a corpse. A voice interrupts the unending howls. Quote, Don't you understand? They're asking you to grant our wish. End quote. He raises his head and sees a woman with white hair yellow eyes, and a priest-like garb. 
He knows this woman, but not until an hour later from now. He thinks that there is just no consistency to this. She says he failed and came here too early. Shiro and then the rest of Fuyuki is torn apart by the beasts. And that is the end of loop one. I do think that implication that he knows her, but not an hour for... Uh, she's, a, she's obviously a homunculus. Right? Like, the white hair, the yellow eyes, like, are pretty blatantly, like, she is a homunculus in some sort of way. Oh, yeah, that that is true. I can't remember what eyes Ilya had. Were hers yellow as well? I, I think hers were her red. Eyes were, uh, hers were red, but I think yeah. the... Um, uh, uh, the two maids who are homunculi uh, have yellow eyes. Oh yeah, right. you might be right. Yeah, but yeah, she she very but, well. Like, the white hair homunculus. alone is like yeah that that's homunculi. Yeah, white hair. Um, at least in like Fate Stay Night and like it's uh, it's prequel and and this are signs of homunculus. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I I do like the. I, I do like the the phrasing of he knows her, but not until an hour from now. Well, especially considering, like, barring drastic shifts, we don't get to, like, an hour from now. Like, uh, unless, yeah. like, it, it is, like, sets of four days and we'll start to get days 12, 13, 14, or October th- 12, 13, 14, 15. Like, we don't, yeah. we don't get those days. We just have yeah. th- these four days. As of loop two, we don't go further. I can tell you that much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I'm interested in where this game goes. I'm not super fond of the way you can like every scene in um, Fate Stay Night felt like it was doing something, and I'm not super fond of the way we can have like the sweet potato scenes yeah. where it just feels like I'm it's wasting my time. Yeah. Um. Like even, like even even for a fan disc, like I don't know why the sweet potato scene exists. Yeah, it's not like you're getting any interaction with other characters. Yeah, like the the whole the whole set the whole reason it's called sweet potato sorrow is that he doesn't have anyone else to interact Wait, do, with in that scene. <laughs> people might like Shiro. That might be a thing people do. I can't imagine why. I don't know why might. you would, but yeah. <laughs> We're both so mean to him, but like, in our defense, mean to who? What character? His primary character trait is willful ignorance. Also, why why would we stand for Shiro when like almost every other character in Fate Stay Night is is more interesting than him? Yes, Lancer's out here looking like he just got back from fucking Freddie Mercury and now is about to fuck your dad. Like, yeah. <laughs> why would we pick anybody else to pay attention to? Yeah, uh, and also just you have like every woman in the game who is a yes. significantly better character than basically anyone else. The, the best route in Fate Stay Night was a route that was about not Shiro. Yeah. Uh Yeah, I I am definitely of cuz like there are absolutely scenes in in Holler Ataraxia, where I'm like, oh, this is great. I, I love seeing Caster and Assassin interact with Shiro in this context. Um, even if it doesn't necessarily progress the plot, it's it's really fun um, in, in a way that like a, a good fan disc 
like should aim for. Um, yeah. But also, like again, we we get to the part where this thing is trying to do two different things at once and they and they do not mesh particularly well or at least maybe maybe he's six landing like maybe maybe he does something with that like right now it is not currently meshing at the very least yeah. Um, like I, I, I am willing to give him rope to hang himself because of he- how heavens feel nails a landing. We were certain it would not. So like I, I, I'm willing to give him that leeway, but like as it stands for me now, I'm mostly just stuck here. Like it, when we had those scenes in heaven, in heavens feel, or in like the other roots in fate, um, or in stay night, like it felt like they were still doing something and here it feels like but like the scenes that we had in fate stay night they hit for me because we'd had long enough with these characters that like we had a sense for who those characters were um and so like seeing them in like getting to just spend time together and interacting was fun because of that and in this it feels and because it is a fan disc it feels like we're expected to come out of it into it with an idea for who this character is and they haven't done any like actual establishment of these characters and so like i can't tell what of these characters is uh, actually off and what is just this is a fan service perspective on a character or and what is i just had the wrong read on this character to begin with and so i'm i'm curious to see how it all shakes out and i hope that it it does not end up being i mean it's it's a long game i'm sure it won't be as reductive as i'm afraid it's gonna be yeah um before we end this uh particular episode of the podcast i do want to read another section from this interview um and i'm gonna read pretty much uh all because like Nasu and Takeuchi have several responses like that, that they banter with. I'm going to pretty much read everything verbatim because I think it's fascinating um, mm-hmm. to look back on their answers in hindsight. But the interviewer asked them near the end of this interview, like it's a, it's the penultimate question. Uh, the interviewer asked, what is fate to type moon? Uh, Nasu is the first to respond. Five years ago, we said that this will not go beyond one product. But even saying Type Moon now is just another word for Gundam. It just keeps changing forms and moving forward. That's not to say we're just artificially extending it, of course. Fate Extra was a good test for us. It was fun to write and fun to make. If the player also enjoys it, then it's a win-win, is it not? Takayuchi then says, As a product, I do feel it has grown much more than I expected. Whenever we said that Fate was over and done with, it, re- it, ref- it would refuse to die. I suppose it's only natural to love and revere something that you have spent so much time cultivating and being so fulfilled by, and have become so attached to. Uh, I don't mean to be obs- I don't mean to be obsessive, but I do want to treat this with utmost care, as we have done up till the- up until this point. Nasu then says, "This is this is for us what Final Fantasy is for Square Enix, on a way smaller scale, of course." Takeuchi says, "I know you may sometimes think not another fate." But even another fate game wouldn't be fate at all. Nasu says, We plan to, we plan to our utmost in every fate 
uh, so that the players who have stuck it out with us so far love it just the same. If we can just do that, the fans will still be with us even as they say, ah, it's fate again. Takeuchi then says, fate is really interesting, isn't it? We have the room to think about new possibilities. We will not make a direct sequel, but we'll go for anything that seems interesting. And finally, Nasu adds, the fate I want to ne- make now is that one fate, Musou. And then he laughs. <laughs> uh, spoilers, he does eventually get his wish. Yeah, he, he sure does. And it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so you, I think you've only played Extella Link, which is the one. Yes, I I've only like. played Link. Um, but yeah, just reading out those responses in hindsight is very funny, especially them saying this is what Final Fantasy is for Square Enix on a way smaller scale, of course. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think uh, fate might make more money now. <laughs> uh, I mean, the gotcha game alone makes. Oh, but no, because there's that's Brave Zevius. There's yeah, Keeper. Yeah. Fate is Final Fantasy does have their own gotchas and stuff, but. Yeah, so Final Fantasy may still make more money, but like Fate's no slouch anymore. No. Like Fate has gone so far beyond what Nasu probably could have imagined at that time. Absolutely. It's just wild to read mm-hmm. these responses um to that question and be like God, that's a hell of a monkey's paw. <laughs> yeah. In it, some cases. It's <laughs> <laughs> I'm as Takeuchi says whenever we said that fate was over and done with it would refuse to die yeah it, it seems like it has refused to die that definitely seems true so in a sense like I'm sort of going into fate hollow ataraxia also from this historical perspective of like I, t- to them, at the time, Fate Hollow Ataraxia was probably going to be it. Like, yeah. it, it was just their celebration of, oh, Fate Stay Night was shockingly successful. Here's a fan thing to celebrate sure. that it did well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And for all that they knew, like, there there may not have been another Fate thing ever mm-hmm. after that. Uh so Hollerataraxia as as like this artifact of fate as a thing before fate is what we know it as today is is fascinating and surreal. Mm-hmm, for sure. Like um, that that is part of what I thought was so interesting about uh Stay Night specifically, because it was like the thing before it was the thing. But yeah. Um, and next time we will continue. Um, I did do loop two. Um, so I've got those instructions ready for you. I'm almost considering um, quickly doing a loop three and giving you those instructions as well in a bit. Um, if it's as short a, as this loop in a one, few it probably days, is worth it. Because honestly, loop two, I finish in a single day in like three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it might be worth doing. Like, Yeah, because yeah. I, I feel like there would not be enough content to discuss if we don't just do two more loops. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 
because uh, yeah i'm gonna be honest the 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 loop two does not progress stuff as much as i was really hoping it would <laughs> that's a bummer yeah like there's some good stuff there but also it's like man it feels like we got a lot of we got some teases here but nothing actually important <laughs> Um, so I'll, I'll probably do a, a, a loop three um, within the next two or three days and then give you those instructions. Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, so with that, that'll be the end of this uh, introductory episode. Um, future Hollow Adaraxia episodes will likely be um, shorter just due to the nature of what this game is. Um, you mean we're not reading eight hours of a fucking novel every session? No, <laughs> no, we are not. Um, but yeah, uh, until next time, um, you can you can find my Twitter at StiltTheGM. You can find me at Rhetoric Acrobat. I, I know I say it every time. I don't know why you would. <laughs> Do better things with your life. I don't post anything important. Uh, if you're already listening to this, you're already listening to the one reason I would have you go to my Twitter. <laughs> and I don't have a special sign-off for Fate Hall or Adaraxia. I totally forgot to make one. I'm going to be honest. There was a moment here where I considered just starting back at, like, the introduction again. <laughs> um, and then that, I realized that would be a lot of work. Oh, and so I decided not to. Wait, I, I was... Oh, wait, I got one. Uh, okay. Until next time... Uh, Shiro will hope that the next loop will be his loop home. Okay. I'm editing this now. Tosasare <laughs> tani